0: polling stations were delivered to the remote villages of Bougainville, there was dancing in the streets. People dressed in traditional outfits and paraded through their villages. They've been waiting nearly 20 years to vote on independence from Papua New Guinea. 206,000 of a population of 300,000 went to the polls. And by the end of next week, they'll know if Bougainville will be our newest country.
1: Today, the people of
2: Papua New Guinea and the people of Bougainville took a step forward. Today was a good day for world peace. The boat's been a long time coming for a people still traumatized by a brutal civil war that ended over 20 years ago.
0: Yes, it's my first time. Um, I'm 36 years old, but I never casted my vote on any elections. This is the first one. It really feels great, relief.
2: We we're very so excited because it's our privilege to food. Well, for a long time we've been under someone's care and we want to be our own.
0: First of all when I come in front I feel quite afraid that it's, you know this is my first time I come across voting for my own country or my province, yes. Mm-hmm. Kia ora, I'm Sharon brett Kelly, and today on The Detail, Bougainville's long struggle for independence and why New Zealand and the rest of the world should care.
1: This is such a strange and beautiful place.
0: Jason Brown is Associate Professor of Linguistics at the University of Auckland. He calls Bougainville his second home. He works with a team there documenting the Nasioi language.
1: It's... This small island, it's green, it's lush, Uh, the people are incredible, they're friendly, they're welcoming, but it's all set in this background of destruction. So as you drive through the place, you can see the, the remnants of buildings, you can see the destruction from the Civil War. So it's this really sharp contrast between... Seeing the paradise side and then seeing that destruction as well.
2: It was a bloody war. Bougainville is an island to the east of Papua New Guinea. Horrors have occurred there. 20,000 people killed. It is an apocalyptic story of a ravaged people.
0: This is from the documentary Soldiers Without Guns about the 10-year civil war in Bougainville and New Zealand's Haka and Guitars peace mission.
1: The Maori concept
0: group and a good shipment of guitars are going to be the main weapons
1: in our arsenal. Who, as a commander, would say we're taking guitars and not rifles? Fair to say, felt a little bit naked.
0: The War in Paradise is also a theme in Mr Pip, the film based on the book by New Zealander Lloyd-Jones.
2: 60,000 miles of the living understate siege. We saw a signal on the beach. What is BIP?
0: Lloyd-Jones set up a trust to fund a library in the capital of Arawa that's become a cultural centre for the region. It's one of the many strong links New Zealand has with Bougainville, but Jason Brown says most people know nothing about the place.
1: When I present material from, say, Nasioi in my lectures and my classes... And I mentioned that this is from Bougainville. Students have no idea where this place is. They've never heard of it before. And so it's uh, kind of this interesting situation where we have this really important event that's taking place right now, and the majority of the population doesn't know, isn't even aware that this place exists.
0: Here's a timeline of Bougainville's recent history. In 1975, it becomes a province of newly independent PNG. In 1988, separatist war with PNG breaks out. In 1997, the Burnham peace talks in Christchurch lead to a truce. New Zealand peacekeeping soldiers remain in Bougainville until 2003 as part of Operation Balisi. We were also a witness in 2000 when the peace agreement was signed, setting a 2020 deadline for the independence poll.
2: Of course New Zealand was involved in that peace process, and which is actually quite a foreign policy success uh, that you never really hear of.
0: RNZ Pacific's Johnny Blades has been covering events in Papua New Guinea and surrounding areas for years.
2: They feel distinct to much of Papua New Guinea in some ways because of the geography. It's a lot closer to the Solomon Islands and they're ethnically distinct from you know, mainland PNG.
0: He was in Bougainville for the start of the referendum.
2: Bougainville is an autonomous region within Papua New Guinea. Nominally, it was a province, one of about 20 provinces in Papua New Guinea, but as a result of the civil war which broke out in Bougainville in the late 1980s and sort of raged through much of the 90s. As a result of the peace agreement, which ended hostilities, they created an autonomous status of, of Bougainville. So it had its own public service and powers to be able to raise some of its own revenues. But um, as a region, it was really knocked back by the Civil War or the Bougainville crisis, as they call it. You know, they, Before the war, it had a really good plantation economy Quite a dynamic agriculture scene, and of course it had this huge Panguna copper mine, which was the main revenue earner for the PNG state. you know so there was a lot happening there, but everything in terms of infrastructure and economy in Bougainville got brought to its knees by the Civil War, and it hasn't fully recovered so that's where we're at today. Bougainville was once home to the world's largest open cut copper mine at Panguna which at the time provided up to 45% of Papua New Guinea's export profits.
0: Panguna Copper Mine, that's really at the centre of all this. This is sort of the key to the civil war, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's right. Grievances were what sparked the civil war. There were grievances over the you know, extensive environmental destruction caused by the mine and its tailings and so forth. But also conflict over who was getting benefits from the mine, which a landowner group under Francis Owner and some of his compadres essentially gave Bougainville Copper Limited, which is a subsidiary of Rio Tinto, uh, you know, a set of demands in the late 80s, wanting their grievances addressed, and ultimately they weren't addressed adequately in the landowner's eyes, and that's what kicked off the militancy and the, and the uh, attempts to sabotage the mine initially, and then it escalated into a full civil war.
0: The Panguna mine was the catalyst for the civil war, which lasted nearly a decade and left thousands of people dead.
2: Essentially, the Panguna copper mine was mothballed ever since, so that's 30 years it's not used, basically. it's uh, Nature has gradually reclaimed the huge open pit.
0: So what's it like there?
2: You know, it's like a ghost town in some ways. There was this huge town, quite remarkably big for for Melanesia, where the expatriate staff of Bougainville Copper Limited and others had lived right close to the open pit mine itself. But it, there, was, there were a lot of big buildings, you know. There was a supermarket, a cinema, a squash court... Uh, a lot of money pumping through there. It's now just this shell, you know, there's a lot of steel structures. It's quite quite a ghost town, if you will. There are local landowners living in and around it.
0: This is no good. I'm not getting the money from my wealth.
2: Maggie Waring used to work at the supermarket. She says she saw lots of wealth pumping through the tills via the foreigners who came to exploit Bougainville's natural resources.
0: They are just storing my wealth out of here. Yeah or even Papua New Guinea government done to us.
2: You know, Bougainville Copper Limited estimates that there's still something like 80 or $90 billion worth of copper and gold reserves left in that mine. So there's huge interest in having it reopened, uh, and that's one of these sort of critical points as to whether can Bougainville be, you know, viable as an independent nation. Many say only if the mine gets reopened.
0: Because I was reading that actually the mine, Panguna mine, was worth about 45% of Papua New Guinea's actual economy.
2: Yeah, it was something like that in, in the early years of independence. So Papua New Guinea got independence in 1975, and Bougainville, which was then called the North Solomons province... Uh, their leaders wanted independence for themselves at that time but it didn't quite work out so they were part of Papua New Guinea as it became an independent state. But at that time the the Panguna copper mine had got off the ground and it was just earning, you know, it was going great guns and earning all this money for the PNG state. It basically underwrote the Papua New Guinea state in those first uh, sort of, let's say, 14 years of independence when things were in some ways, more um, harmonious economically than they are now for PNG. So PNG views this mine as as incredibly important. It's still got the potential to help stabilise its economy. But unfortunately for Bougainvillians, it was just the source of too much conflict, too many grievances.
0: So the Papua New Guinea government... It has the final say on, on this vote, w- whichever way it goes. And, and there's a prediction that what at least three-quarters of the, of the voters support independence. But the Papua New Guinea government has the final say. And would the mine be a factor in its decision? I mean, is it worried about, you know, that it potentially could lose all that income if the mine was reopened?
2: Yeah, I think the mine is a huge factor, However, the landowners, uh, Francis owner is dead now, but uh, there are landowners who are still laying down the bottom line that the mine would not be, they would not allow the reopening of the mine if, if they were not to get independence, if Bougainville was not to be able to break away from P&G. So uh, there's no guarantee for the PNG state that the mine would be reopened if they were to you know, refuse Bougainville's likely majority vote for independence. I mean, the other thing is, of course, and this is a huge factor for, for Papua New Guinea's government and its national parliamentarians who, as you pointed out, the decision ultimately rests with, that they are afraid of other parts of Papua New Guinea breaking away if Bougainville, uh, you know, separates as a result of this referendum. I mean, you've got other island provinces of Papua New Guinea which are away from the mainland, you know, bigger than uh, Bougainville in size. I mean, Bougainville's a bit like the size of Cyprus or Puerto Rico. Um, but then you've got New Britain, which is double that, you know, or New Ireland. And they, both those islands and the provinces in them have been talking about wanting more autonomy. And if Bougainville separates from PNG, the fear is that they will push for that as well. So the PNG government is worried about that.
0: Are people afraid that if the Papua New Guinea government decides against independence that there would be more violence and unrest given its history?
2: There are fears about that. And I spoke to the head of the Security Committee within the Bougainville Referendum Commission. He's a Bougainvillian, and he had been consulting in all the wards around Bougainville. And while there has been this you know exhaustive weapons containment and weapons disposal process since the uh, Civil War, there are still some weapons out there at large, and there are elements who who could uh, you know disrupt. Proceedings or elements who could uh, cause trouble down the track if it looks like the PNG government is not adhering to the will of the Bougainville people. Now, I don't think those people are anything more than a minority because, as as a rule, Bougainvillians told me that there just is no appetite for more war.
0: This man is speaking Nasioi, one of 25 languages of Bougainville. He's talking about going fishing with his cousin and seeing a
2: shark.
0: It's the language that Jason Brown is helping to document, put into a dictionary, and teaching materials.
1: There's this beautiful library in Arwa. It's just such a fantastic structure, and it's used on a daily basis by people. It's become this this cultural centre, and it's full of books, and it's fantastic. But at the time, it was just lacking anything that was written, in Nāsioi or any of the other local languages, so we thought, well, you know, it would be a really good idea if we could change that, and if we could put some some Nāsioi materials on the shelves, and so that's what we started to do. So now there's some Nāsioi collections of stories that are sitting on those shelves right now.
0: Does this have any relevance to, you know, what's going on in the background? The the push for independence?
1: At first I didn't think so, but the more that I talked to people, the more it felt relevant because they start working on these projects with us and they come in from various communities into the library and they sit in on the workshops with us and they tell us about how this is really important for them and really important for their identity. And it's this whole issue of identity, I think, that really um, provides that background to the conflict, to the, the war, to the referendum. So they definitely see a connection there.
0: Why are you doing this? Is it because these languages are in danger of dying?
1: Some of them are in danger of dying. One of those 25 languages is classified as extinct now. Others have smaller populations of speakers. But yes, they are under threat from English. They're under threat from Tokpisun. And the elders see a lot of this um, encroachment of English in the Nasioi. So uh, there's a lot of words that are slowly being replaced by English words or talk-pissing words. Uh, younger speakers sometimes don't remember certain things or they don't um, make use of certain structures that the older speakers do. And so they recognize this real need to use Nosyoi in the schools. And so that's what we're trying to help to do is to create these materials so that they can do their schooling in Nasihoi.
0: What makes the language so interesting?
1: Anytime you get a language that has relatively little documentation, it's always interesting because you get in and you just wonder, what am I going to find here? And there's always going to be surprises some of the more interesting aspects of the language uh, have to do with the order of words and um, the word order seems to be relatively free. So in English it's fairly fixed. Subject, verb, object. Um, In nasioi you can scramble those around into virtually any order. And so it's really interesting this process of trying to discover what are the limits and Um, Where are the boundaries to this, and how does it all work? So that's something that will take years to unravel. Full independence would probably be something that would take a long time to achieve, um, years, maybe even decades. Um, it's It's a long process of negotiation, I think and it's probably a long process of development. I think that there's there are a lot of big questions um, in Bougainville right now, and those questions are around what happens. So what happens if the vote ends up being for more autonomy? What happens if the vote is for independence? Then what? And um, there, I'm sure that a lot of people have some very clear ideas about how to proceed forward, but this is something that I think a lot of the people are, are uh, struggling with right now, and they're just trying to imagine um, what does independence look like and how, how does that change us as a society or how do we move forward? Um, how does that change our economy? And um, those are really open questions right now.
0: Do you think the mine will be open?
1: I don't even want to speculate on that. Um, I mean, I've heard lots of wildly conflicting reports on this, and I would have no idea what is credible. And I don't know that anybody else knows what's going to happen with this. I'm sure that people can speculate what would happen depending on on the votes, but, um, yeah, I don't know.
2: If it is the world's newest country after South Sudan was the last one, I think it's huge. Remember that self determination is a real hot topic now in the Pacific. New Caledonia another melanesian territory which is a, a french ruled territory has another self determination referendum next year this is something that is happening in our region a region which is uh, of you know great interest to external powers at the moment as we've all heard a lot about china australia worried about china's motives in the region and china has made you know substantial forays into the pacific not just in the last year or two but it's been building up over the last decade or two, and there's no doubt that China is interested in Bougainville, for instance, and has made overtures to some of the key players about wanting to help uh, develop its resources if, it, uh, if Bougainville makes that step away from PNG.
0: Is that right? And I imagine other countries are, <laughs> are interested in helping them develop their resources as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Australia has this historic stake through Rio Tinto with this huge mine. But that was problematic because Australia was, you know, there's a lot of baggage there mm. for Australia in Bougainville because of that war and because of the way the Australian Defence Force provided logistic support to the PNG Defence Force when they were fighting the Bougainville, you know, Revolutionary Army during that uh, bloody civil war. But New Zealand has a real uh, interest in Bougainville because New Zealand helped uh, or basically forged the peace process and brokered the peace agreement uh, you know and did such great work with its police. The New Zealand police have a long history since the conflict of you know being in Bougainville they've got a great reputation and in fact during the referendum the New Zealand police have led a a regional police effort just to kind of patrol you know polling places and, and main urban areas and They're just really valued, highly valued by Bougainvillians. You know, New Zealand is seen as that kind of, you know, an honest broker, someone who listens, a fellow Pacific country. And I think we shouldn't, um, you know, underestimate our power for good out there in the region and parts of the region like Bougainville which have seen conflict and which New Zealand has helped these people move on from.
0: That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to RNZ's Johnny Blades and Auckland University's Dr Jason Brown. Ka nui